Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague Jay Shabat to discuss the impressive return to profitable form for Singapore Airlines and Copa Airlines. We hope you enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? I'm fine, Ned. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Doing well. Glad to hear you're feeling a bit better. Last week, uh, Jay was a bit under the weather, and, and we both were had raspy voices, so we, we took a break. So glad to be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, was, uh, sounded like a frog last week, so didn't want to subject our listeners to that. <gasps> no one wanted to hear that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But this week, we've got lots of exciting airline earning news. We're going to start out in Singapore and then fly halfway around the world to Panama. Yeah, cool. So let's start in Singapore. And it's, uh, it's well, it, with, with both cases here, is, uh, we have a lot of good news to share. Uh, Singapore did extraordinarily well. Uh, and just to back up, Singapore Airlines sort of historically has uh, been a very profitable airline. It was uh, one time, you know, just sort of a synonym for successful airlines is very successful. It did have a rough decade, though, in the 2010s. And I was going to say, say I, I, yeah. I thought that they they did they had some 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 struggles. I'm not saying they did it poorly, but they yeah, like you said, a rough decade. Exactly, it wasn't. Yeah, we're not we're not. They didn't lose money. They didn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't any kind of disaster scenario. But it was just atypical for them to earn very you know just mediocre margins. You know, they would come out three percent, four percent, five percent. It's it just it wasn't uh there was there was something missing and some of that depending on the year was you know exposure to high fuel prices a lot of it was just exposure to intense new competition i mean throughout east asia during the 2010s you had just an enormous amount of new capacity and new airlines new low cost carriers long haul low cost carriers and they the yields kind of suffered uh because of that but and we saw as, that we saw that across mm-hmm. the board too. I mean, think about U.S. airlines uh, and their Asia franchises, and I know it's not apples for apples, but they also, uh, you know, yields were pushed down by a glut of new capacity, especially out of China and other airlines that were growing. So it it was a story that many airlines saw in the 2010s. Right. It, it was almost it was almost like the U.S. market in the early 2000s, where you had a lot of demand growth, but you also had a lot of supply growth. So a lot of pressure on yields, a lot of pressure on margins. That was kind of Singapore Airlines, uh, the situation for them throughout much of the last decade. But coming out of the pandemic, it's um, you know it's it's really looking really good for them. And it's uh, so just to give you a, a number um, during the fourth quarter, uh, and they're not by the way a very seasonal airline. They typically uh, their patterns of uh, profitability is pretty smooth across the calendar. So in the fourth quarter, uh, 16%, which makes them one of the most profitable airlines in the world for uh, for 2022. Um, and that is, some of that is cargo, you know, they did well, some of that is fuel hedges, they saved a couple, I don't know, I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head, I'm watching a couple margin points uh, they got from, you know, having, having good fuel hedges. Um, and then also, I think uh, just a big part of the story is that a lot of that competition that we just mentioned uh, during the 2010s, a lot of that sort of disappeared during the pandemic. So you picture, you know, an airline like Malaysia Airlines, which is sort of next door, next door neighbor for Singapore Airlines. They went through a bankruptcy and got rid of a lot of capacity. Same thing with Thai Airways, a lot of low cost carriers cut back, uh, even the Gulf carriers cut back. So I think that's a big part of the story. And another, 
you know, just very, very big part of the story just in recent months has been, you know, the reopening of Asia and very, very, very strong yields. Uh, Singapore Airlines is a very premium oriented carrier, long haul premium. So when long haul premium is doing well, Singapore Airlines tends to do well. That's that's kind of the general rule. And over Absolutely. the past, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that market is doing doing pretty well, especially like if you picture, you know, some of the U.S. They, they've, they've grown a lot to the U.S. They've had a lot of nonstop routes using some, you know, kind of next generation aircraft and longer range. And I suspect that a lot of that stuff is doing very well right now. Yeah. I mean, one thing I want you mentioned uh, that yields are way up in the fourth quarter. Singapore Airlines uh, unit revenues were up 33 percent compared to 2019. Wow. 33. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge jump. We saw 20 percent range jumps in the U.S. during the quarter, but 33 percent is excellent. So they're oh, yeah. definitely, definitely raking in the cash. And, and like you said, a lot of capacity has come out, especially trans Trans-Pacific capacity. If you think about I'm not sure how much they competed, but for passengers that, you know, I remember back in the day, I would see uh, tickets available from Washington or New York via Beijing to Southeast Asia. All of that's gone. There's no one's connecting over China anymore at this point. So mm-hmm. all that capacity, long haul capacity is out. Tireways doesn't serve the U.S. anymore. Like you said, Malaysia Airlines is struggling. And to to your point on, you know, long premium long hauls doing well for them. You know, they've signed new uh, coach agreements with Thai and with Vietnam Airlines, and that's des- specifically designed to funnel passengers onto their flights, long haul flights to the Americas via Singapore. So, you know, Singapore Airlines is, is doing a lot to, to, you know, maintain their market, you know, fortify their position and then come out, you know, really come out of this stronger. Yeah, yeah, they, they're making friends with their former enemies in the region. And they also, I mean, I, mean, I remember a time when Singapore Airlines... This was going back like to the early 2010s, I would say, where they were very protective of their brand and very conservative, and they didn't really want to do joint ventures and alliances, or at least, you know, they weren't very gung-ho about it. And then they completely, you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall. They sort of, you know, they they uh, they got religion on that. And they uh, now they're, you know, they have, uh, um, they work closely with All Nippon in Japan. They work closely with Lufthansa and I think even SAS and I think, do they still have anything with Virgin Australia? I'm not sure if that kind of they went do. away during... They said they a do. lot of that okay. started to come back online in the mm-hmm. latter half of the year as Virgin has has ramped up their schedule. So, you know, they really are. But, you know, the one big deal that we haven't mentioned yet is Air India. And, you know, Singapore Airlines is bidding big. They, they're taking a 25% stake in, in the new Tata-owned Air India. They're putting in money. They've they've you know given up their stake in Vistar as part of this. Like it's it's they're they're making a big push for a piece of that market. Yeah, it's very interesting, and that's something. So so as conservative as they've been in the past about some joint ventures, they were always very interested in two giant markets: one being China, one being India. That goes back you know decades now. They tried to buy Air India back. I want to say in the nineteen nineties. And they just never could do it because of government regulation, whatever. They tried to buy, I want to say early 2010s, they tried to buy China Eastern and came very close. Um, they didn't do that. They could, for whatever, same kind of, you know, they regulatory reasons or whatever. Um, and they uh, they just know that Singapore, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small market and they depend so much on connecting traffic that they really want to have a uh, kind of a toehold in what you know in a, in a place like India. So finally, as you mentioned, Ned, they got a hold of. Uh, well, the first step was kind of starting Vistara, which they owned about half of, 
And then through, uh, because Air India now privatized, wanted to merge with Vistara, they were able to engineer this deal where they now own 25% of Air India. So they kind of finally got their foothold. Now that's, you know, it's, you can see the strategic thinking there could be dangerous because if Air India doesn't reform its ways, big question mark still open there. If they yes. don't, uh, you know, if they continue to bleed as much money as they have in the past, that could, you know, wind up hurting Singapore Airlines, just as it did, if you recall, a few decades earlier, they thought they were being clever by buying 49% stake in Virgin Atlantic Airways because, hey, everybody wants to, you know, have access to Heathrow. Well, that turned out to be like a very, very bad deal for them. They wound up, you know, selling their stake to Delta and, you know, for a fraction a steep, of what they bought it for. Yeah, yeah at a steep, steep discount. discount. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, what we have going for them, at least with Air India, is um, as as uh, our former colleague Madhu and Krishna always said, everything the Tatas touch turns to gold. So mm -hmm. they've got that going for them. Now, of course, you know, airlines are their own thing and we have yet to see. And it's very, very, you know, we always want to be you know, cautious about what's going to happen. But it's India is, is a big market and, you know, it could really turn out well for them. It could also turn out terribly. We shall see. But they're, they're definitely leaning into the we're going to go all in and hope this turns out well for us. Yep. Yep. So it's either going to be like when Air France bought Alitalia and they they bought 25% of Alitalia and it turned to be like a, a huge albatross and it really, really killed their earnings for, for several years. Could be like that or it could be, I don't know, Nick, can we think of a good example of like, a, or, or United buying, this is a good transition, United buying into Copa Airlines, which was a fantastic investment. That's and, what I was uh, going to say. That was a yeah. fantastic deal. And it was done mm -hmm. by Continental in case our listeners yes, uh, yes, <laughs> send correct, us correct. any notes about that. But yes, that was a fantastic deal. Yes, yes. And then when, yeah, United exactly inherited that when uh, they bought, merged with Continental. Um, so now is a good transition. We can talk about Copa. Unless you had, am I, am I, are we missing anything about nope. Singapore Airlines net? Or did we? Nope. Uh, did we no, I, th that I think that's well? it. Um, uh, you know, I, the one, yeah, I think that's it. But let's take a quick break before we, before we talk about Copa and we will be right back. Sounds good. We'll take our take our take a deep breath and come back. And we're back. Like Jay was leading in just before we took a break, we are going to pivot to uh, Latin America and talk about Copa, the quote unquote champion of the Americas for those who read this latest issue of Airline Weekly. Yep, champion of the Americas. And they um so they Copa is uh just to clarify something we alluded to earlier. They're no longer owned by United. They do still have a pretty close relationship with them. But that aside, uh Copa has always been an incredibly profitable airline. But last quarter they just kind of blew the roof off. <laughs> I mean, I, I had to like triple and quadruple check these numbers, but they had a 25% operating margin, which generally you see in only industries like, I don't know, like IT or something, you know, Microsoft will produce a margin like that, but not an airline. But anyway, 25%. Um, so they just had a, a couple of things going for them um, in addition to sort of the normal stuff that they, you know, generally thrive, re reasons that they thrive. But they, um, so I, what happened was just the pricing power, they have a lot of pricing power. They just have a lot of itineraries that they serve where there's not a ton of really good competition. So you can just imagine, you know, someone going from like Brazil to Cancun or something like that, or, you know, Guatemala, Guatemala, Miami, or, um, that may be a not a great example because you know American will fly that nonstop, but but just yeah. a lot of those kind of 
you know, we're connecting through Panama is just the very best and most convenient option. And so they, they have, they've always kind of commanded a lot of pricing power. And then what happened is, you know, right now, as we even mentioned with Singapore airlines, a lot of airlines have a lot of pricing power right now. And in Copa's case, during the fourth quarter, they, a lot of those tickets that were, um, that were flown or a lot of passengers that flew in the fourth quarter purchased their tickets during the third quarter when fuel prices were very high and Copa during that third quarter, they actually were able to lift their fares a lot to, to sort of, you know, compensate for the higher fuel costs. So they were getting these really high yields and then fuel prices dropped in the fourth quarter a lot. So you had this really like favorable spread where, you know, very high ticket revenue, but lower than expected fuel cost. And that was a big kind of reason why the margins were just, you know, extremely high. Just off. So, so basically you're saying our listeners shouldn't expect quite so high margins in the first quarter because, you know, that that sort of tail of, of the high yields with the low fuel prices is probably going to come off a little bit. But this we're not saying that they're going to lose money by any nature. It might come down to a just more respectable 15 percent or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it might even be more than that. I mean, for, they are a little bit seasonal. First quarter, it tends to be like a very, very strong season for Latin America. Um, Speaking so of I all would... those Brazilians wanting to go to Cancun, it's a yeah. prime period for that. <laughs> exactly. And so I, you know, don't be surprised if it hits 20. I don't think it'll hit 25 again. Um, they do say for all of 2023, they're expecting, I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like 17 or 18 percent. They're, I mean, they're expecting a fantastic, another fantastic year. Yeah. Uh, but as, I mean, as you mentioned, it's not going to be 25 percent. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that, that jumped out to me in your coverage, Jay, was that 2022 was not a growth year for Copa. The airline operated fewer aircraft at the end of the year than they did at the end of 2019. I think they even served fewer cities, but you, you can check me on that. And over, but they did grow ASMs solely on the basis of their, their upgaging. They got rid of their Embraer 190s, they started exiting 737-700s, and they added a bunch of 737 MAX 9s. So it was it was fascinating to see them post these stellar margins on, on what really wasn't uh, a growth year for them. It was very much a recovery year. Yeah, it's not a big growth there. I, th I do think they're going to, uh, they aim to, to grow ASM's double digits this year, you know, not uh, create, a, what is that, whatever it is, 12, 13%. Shout but, out um, from my from my local BWI airport that's getting a new Copa nonstop this year, but uh, that's, a, that's yeah, another story. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good year. Got a, got a new ride down to Latin America. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, and I think they also are going to start Austin. I think everyone's starting Austin. Austin, by the way, is the uh, you know the hottest economy in the U.S. right now. Um, maybe cooling off a little bit. Uh, but well, I think uh, they're running out of space from what I've read about housing prices, even the airports out of gates. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I guess uh, I guess you at some point hit a wall. But yeah. <laughs> now one thing to remember about Copa is that because it's uh, like pretty much all of its routes are international, few minor exceptions in Colombia, but it's pretty much an all international airline. So they were virtually dormant throughout the pandemic. I mean, they didn't have a domestic market like the U.S. airlines did to at least have some activity going during the pandemic. They were pretty much, I mean, there was nothing going on. So that's one thing to remember. Um, you know, they 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 had a they just came out of the, you know, kind of turned it right back on when when, when the pandemic ended. Um, so I think that's one reason why they, you know, they're not they weren't in a position to grow that, you know, that dynamically yet. But they'll, you know, I think they have decent growth plans. Very conservative airline in the sense that and and conservative in a very, very admirable way in the sense that they 
you know, never have grown too extreme. And even more importantly, they never went out and ordered wide body aircraft or did anything too fancy. I mean, it's just seven right now. It's, I mean, they had the 190s, as you mentioned, I think before, but other than that, it was pretty much, you know, seven, three sevens only. And, uh, you know, stick to short haul, not, nothing fancy. And it obviously works great for them. So give them credit. You know, like we say, you know, Copa makes mince money on doing what they do best. And that's connecting North and South America over Panama City and connecting and doing it well. And Amen. Got, Amen. Yep. Well, with that, we're going to do one last topic. Jay, you took a look at, you know, U.S. airline airport capacity. Tell us a little bit about that before we sign <clears> off <throat> for the day. Yeah, thanks, Ned. So, um, yeah, I, I ran um, some numbers in uh, in Dio by Sirium looking at uh, just trends for the second quarter. So that's the April to June quarter coming up, which is generally a good one uh, seasonally for the U.S. airlines. It's uh, past the Florida peak and Caribbean peak, um, but it is uh, for Southwest, for example, second quarter is always their best quarter of the year. Uh, so I was just looking at, you know, where some, you know, where different airlines are growing and where they're shrinking. And we're going to run this chart in our uh, our issue coming up um, next week. So okay. uh, the one we're working on now. So uh, yeah, so so definitely um, look look for that and and check it out. It's uh, got some you know pretty cool. You could identify some pretty cool trends. But I just wanted to share right now that a uh, few kind of headline numbers here. So overall, the major U.S. airlines, and that's there's you know the 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 big scheduled airlines, uh, or not even just the big ones, but the you know all the way down to Breeze and Avello and Sun Country. Um, if you combine all those. The sea capacity for the second quarter is going to be 2% greater than it was in the second quarter of 2019. So the wow. airline industry now is, yeah, we're now bigger than we were pre-pandemic in capacity terms by seats anyway. So yeah. that's a good, um, you know, good place to start. And then, you know, we could obviously go through this all day, but a few, you know, interesting things that stand out. If you look at like American, American is much smaller now in Chicago and Philadelphia than they were during the pandemic. United is much bigger now in Newark. Um, you know, Detroit is a, is, is, I think we've talked about this in prior pack, pro, podcasts, but because of the Asian exposure, Detroit is much smaller now for Delta. Southwest has grown extraordinarily uh, rapidly in Denver. Um, so, yeah, we have a, a lot of, uh, you know, take, take a look at that chart. And you can see where the different airlines are coming out in terms of their comparisons versus 2019. Yeah, it's fascinating to see what that's going on, what what is going on here, and you know, it's it's really going to be interesting to me as twenty twenty three progresses, what we see. So, for example, Delta has said twenty twenty three is going to be about restoring their capacity in Atlanta, Minneapolis, yep. Detroit. Uh, that, of course, is not going to be complete until the summer, is is what they've said, and and you know that that can of course slide as we've seen it slide in the, in the recent years. But you know this this chart's going to change. But it's interesting to look at, and, and readers, you should definitely, or listeners who are also subscribers, you should definitely take a look in, in the issue coming out on Monday. And one last thing about Atlanta, since you mentioned it, <laughs> this never ceases to amaze me. So in the second quarter, Delta has about twelve million seats scheduled for Atlanta from Atlanta. I guess that's from and to. Uh, the next largest hub is Minneapolis for Delta. So again, Atlanta, 12 million, Minneapolis, less than 4 million. <laughs> so you can see how many, you know, just uh, how many eggs Delta has in that Atlanta basket. It's just so giant for them, you know, relative all their other to all of their other hubs. Wow. No, it really is. It really is. 
Well, Jay, it's always a pleasure to, to join you here on the lounge. Um, like listeners, yes, listeners, if you want to reach either of us, you can reach me at er at skift.com. You can reach Jay at js at skift.com. Jay, have a good week. You too. And thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.